when Bert was there, Dave was there, I think Brian Yacht was there. I looked and fortunately I think I was coaching quarterbacks at the time, but everybody in that room, there were like two losses from their sophomore year on. And they were all MVPs of their, you know, from Hawaii, from Oregon, from Montana. That was the amazing thing. But with the, those guys competing, and Bert, Bert competed, and Bert was a good teammate. I know eventually he didn't totally win it, but you know he won some games because Dave was injured down down the stretch at times, and Bert won some big games. I know Montana State was one of them when she played in. Bert had his chance to play a game, and uh, I think we started off actually with David against South Dakota State. We're down, and of course, you know, he mounts that. I think we're down 35 to three in the fourth quarter, and he mounts a comeback, and we win. You know, so that kind of starts setting that little tone for what, what he obviously accomplished throughout his career. Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions. I am Coulter Nuanez. You can find Grizz Greats on all your various podcasting platforms. My favorite, Spotify, whatever you like to use. Grizz Greats is available there. Please rate, review, subscribe. And Grizz Greats is proudly presented by First Security Bank of Missoula and Blackfoot Communications. This week's Grizz Greats episode features Brent Pease, a former University of Montana quarterback who was an assistant coach on that 1995 team and has circled back around to be one of the only people that was involved in the 1995 national championship season that then is now again at Montana. He has been the associate head coach and wide receivers coach, including the passing game coordinator on Bobby Houck's staff since 2018. The 56-year-old is from Moscow, Idaho. He played at Montana from 1983 to 1986 and was a record setter for the Grizzlies during his playing days. He was drafted by the Minnesota Vikings in the 11th round of the 1987 draft. He was released and picked up by the Houston Oilers, for whom he started three replacement games during the strike shortened 1987 season. He spent another year in Houston behind Warren Moon, and in 1991 he became the first quarterback selected in the World League of Amateur Football draft by the Birmingham Fire. Pease played professional football from 1987 through 1993, while also coaching at the University of Montana from 1991 until 1995, on Don Reed's staff. When Don Reed retired, Brett Pease became the offensive coordinator under Mick Dennehy from 1996 through 1998, which then launched him on a phenomenal career that had some of the great trajectory in the history of the University of Montana football program in terms of guys that used to be with the program. Pease spent time in Northern Arizona in 99 and 2000 before becoming the offensive coordinator at Kentucky. He also was the OC at Baylor and Boise State and Florida and Washington before then becoming the OC at UTEP for two seasons before returning to his alma mater. Brent Pease had a big influence on coaching Dave Dickinson during his time at the University of Montana, as well as some receivers and running backs as well. He worked with a lot of different skill positions. He was sort of a utility assistant, his first stint at his alma mater, and certainly an influential guy on the 1995 Grizz National Championship run. Without further ado, Grizz Greats featuring current associate head coach for the University of Montana football team, former Grizz quarterback, and an assistant on the 1995 National Championship team, Brent Pease. Well, happy now to welcome in a man who was a quarterback at the University of Montana in the mid-80s and then was an assistant coach, a quarterback's coach, an offensive assistant, and eventually offensive coordinator at the University of Montana, but was on the staff uh, under Don Reed at the University of Montana during that 1995 season and is a coach again and an assistant head coach for the Grizzlies now. Brent Pease joining us. Coach Pease, thanks so much for being here. How are you? 
Great. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Well, we're very happy to have you on and, and looking forward to this. But we wanted to start with your playing days. Now, help me with my timeline here. You graduated in 1986, which means it was it your senior year that they opened Washington Grizzly Stadium? Yeah, it was. I, uh, you know, played under Coach Reed and, and, you know, Tommy Lee at that time was our office coordinator. And we actually shut down Dorm Blazer and then opened up. I think we played the last three games at uh, Washington Grizzly Stadium. And what was that like? I mean, you, like you said, you played at Dorm Blazer your whole time, and we've heard some great stories about the green paint on the bleachers and line in the field and all of that, and all of a sudden you go from that place to what was at the time and is still to this day one of the absolute top-level facilities in the entire country for the then 1AA and now FCS level. What was that transition like? What was it like to feel to play in that stadium for the first time? Well, it was, it was you know, pretty – I mean, obviously it was uh, a privilege and it was really cool – and at the time, you know, they hadn't finished. Obviously, it's not like it is today. But, you know, one end zone still had dirt in it. But I think the right. cool thing was that closing down, you know, Dorm Blazer, we, we had BDs from Washington in a game that, you know, it's kind of famous because of uh, Coach Zorns and everything he had to say about it afterwards. And then opening up with, you know, Idaho State and coming out and playing like like we did, you know, where we were behind and then, you know, that being the first game in there. So, you know, I guess those are some good lasting memories. As somebody that's worked so long in your career at, in offensive football, take us through the transition from a schematics and a philosophy point of view because I know Larry Donovan was running a drastically different offense during the early portion of your career, but then you mentioned Coach Reed comes in, Tommy Lee comes in, and Montana starts throwing the ball all over the place, which is what they basically did for the next 10, maybe even 15 years. So what was that transition point like, especially for the guy that was playing quarterback? Well, I mean, it was a big transition, but you got to kind of go back to, I guess, the reason I came here uh, out of a junior college, out of Walla Walla Community College, is that fact that I could, you know, I threw the ball. I think that was one of my strengths at the time. And then when they, when I came here as an athlete, as well as, you know, a few other guys, you know, we came in here for that reason. And then they switched the offense to a wishbone. And, you know, we weren't, I don't think we were all fit to do that. And then, you know, they, they were they were fired and Coach Reed and his staff came in and you know it was kind of a big transition again to you know reteach us and you know I you know he probably didn't have all the players to fit what they wanted to do but you know it worked out we ended up uh, you know having a successful winning season under Coach Reed in his first year and um, they played to a lot of our strengths and you know I guess it just you know and we were in all the games. And, you know, it was just good atmosphere at that time with what was going on with the new stadium and everything. And that's kind of when I think he got it, got it going. You yourself grew up in Moscow, Idaho. So what was that like playing for the University of Montana as somebody that grew up in the Vandals' backyard? No, actually, I grew up in Mountain Home, Idaho, which is more Boise State. I was, about, I, I was born in Moscow. Oh, okay. So dad went to school there. And, um, but I grew up in Mountain Home, which was about uh, 30 miles from Boise. So, uh, yeah, but, you know, it, it was a little bit different because, uh, you know, my family and kids I'd gone to college or high school with had all gone on to the University of uh, Idaho at the time. And, you know, I guess I kind of just had that in my blood a little bit. And um, so, but obviously I'd never regret, you know, coming here and all the great things that, you know, I've been a part of and experiences. 
easy to forget, too, could back then <laughs> – Idaho was sort of the epicenter of the small college football world because the Vandals had it rolling pretty good, but then Idaho State had the, the national championship. They won in the early 80s. Boise State, uh, well, I think, was a national champion early on when the 1AA level was first uh, established. So what do you remember about Idaho football back then? It seemed like there was a lot of pretty good powerhouses in the state at that time. Yeah, you know, at, at the time, you know, really when I was – of course, I always grew up listening to them, and I remember, you know, Kenny Hobart – you know, when he kind of started, really started getting it going uh, in that position, Coach, of course, Coach Erickson, whose, you know, son's on our staff now, was a coach there at the time. And just, you know, they were throwing the ball and, you know, really doing a, what we started doing when Coach Reed came. But you, you always knew that. And then Scott Linehan, who, you know, was a guy that, I guess we were really in the same class. But, and I also knew, you know, a guy that played for my father in high school, that uh, went on to play there with guy by the name of Ricky Love. So I kind of had always followed him and had a connection with him and just some of the, you know, past teammates that were a little bit older than me when I was in high school. And, you know, you kind of, you know, and that's how you grew up. That's what you know. Just like kids here in this state, you know, they, they know Montana or, or Montana State. And, you know, it's just how you grow up. And you always think you're going to be a part of that one way or another. And when you graduated the University of Montana, of course, you went on and played several years professional football, played around the league for a while. And, and, and then when you kind of finished up your playing days, what was the link? I mean, obviously, you went to school there and Coach Reed was still the head coach, but Mick Dennehy was the, the, uh, uh, you know, the new OC. And I don't know that you maybe had crossed paths with him. So what was the link for you where you said, yeah, I want to go into coaching and it, and it ended up being at the University of Montana? Yeah, it was kind of a, a, a fortunate uh, timing situation, I think, because I had just been, um, you know, I played in the league a little bit, and I was bouncing around, and I knew, you know, I was just kind of you know, filling a spot at the time. I wasn't really playing and and a lot, and so I had to kind of find out what I wanted to do, and I'd come back to Missoula, and like I said, Coach Dana, he was the uh, coordinator. And I think a lot of it had to do with Coach Flugrad, uh, Robin Flugrad, too, because he was still here. And they had a, a spot open up, and at that time, the running back position. And and I was in town, and they asked if I'd be interested in, you know, coming and being a part of it. And I kind of asked them if there was just one option that I could, you know, if they were still having this spring league come up, if I could still have the opportunity. And I said, yeah, you know, you, you know, as long as you're here in the fall and, and you know, work with the kids and, you know, we'll still give you a shot to maybe be gone for two, three months in the spring. So it worked out that way pretty well for me that, you know, I could, I could do that and, you know, start coaching and, and figured out maybe that that's kind of what I wanted to do as an, you know, later on with my future too. You know, you, you mentioned already your, your dad being a head coach there at Mountain View or Mountain Home. Is that something you obviously were interested in, but when did you know, okay, this is the career that I want to make? Well, I'd always grown up around it, um, you know, and when when you kind of get that set in, yeah, you know, you're, when you've been around it and you learn things, you know, there's somewhat things that are, I guess, easy for you or an understanding of development. And then as I, you know, going through college and especially getting the, the, the passing game part of it and, and just having good mentors along the way, even in my junior college, uh, Coach Volick was one of mine and um, you know, coming here, Coach Reed and Coach Lee is as close as I became with them. And then 
uh, you know, playing in the NFL under some great guys like June Jones that you just kind of, I guess, get it in your blood and know, I guess, if you get that opportunity, if that's what you want to continue to learn to do, that that's what I was going to try and step into. And, it, and fortunately, it worked out. And, and fortunately, it worked out for me that I got to start where, you know, where, where my school was. I didn't realize you'd cross paths with June Jones too. So you know, at such a at a pretty young age, you were around a lot of guys that had some pretty influential ideas when it came to offensive football. Whether it was Coach Reed or Coach Lee or or June Jones and some of the other people, I'm sure you crossed paths with uh, during your time playing professionally. Coach Fluger had a great offensive mind as well. So I mean, how do those sorts of influences start to shape your offensive identity and, and just your offensive ideals as a young coach? Yeah, I think you know someone like June. Um, and, you know, I guess the other guy I'd throw in there is Mouse Davis, who at the time was a really good, you know, the run and shoot was kind of the offense, and that's what we ran when I was with the Oilers, and he was the guy, you know, kind of an innovator of it. I knew that's probably not something because of just timing and what you have with timing of kids in, in college, but kind of adapting some of the uh, route design or concepts that they had with it would be something I always thought would be good to – maybe see if you could employ into a, you know, a passing offense and what is what Montana had grown into. So that had a lot of influence on me. You know, I guess some other guys that I'd still been coaching, like Chan Gailey, who I think he's still coaching now, but, you know, with various NFL teams and then, and then Mouse and, and, and really just, you know, the relationship part of being around those guys and, and understanding their teaching progressions and, and their philosophies and, and, you know, how to, you know, do things when sometimes you don't have all the best people, you know, and just kind of use it that way. So th- those are, you know, big parts of it, uh, you know, people I was around, but also their, the teaching, the systems, and, you know, the camaraderie of, you know, even guys you played with along the way. Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, is sponsored by First Security Bank and Coulter. While First Security has long been a supporter of the University of Montana and UM Athletics, people might be surprised to know how much First Security Bank, in fact, influenced the University of Montana program and the path they were on directly. Back in 1993, the Grizz were on their way to their second ever berth in the Division One AA playoffs. Previously, in 1989, the only other time Montana had made it to the Division One AA playoffs, and at that time, first round home games awarded via a bidding process. And so, to help support the Grizz football team as well as fortify the faith throughout the community of Missoula, Bill Boucher, former president of First Security Bank, stepped up to the table to help the University of Montana guarantee any potential revenue lost for the first round of the playoffs. And of course, that was recouped in a big way as the University of Montana in 1993 then started the first of 17 straight playoff berths. And in 1995, that local optimism was turned into national prominence as Montana made a run all the way to the 1995 National Championship. First Security Bank is proud to sponsor Grizz Greats and this 25-part podcast series commemorating the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions for Security Bank a proud supporter of Grizz Athletics and the University of Montana. You know, I'm interested in your experience of, of sort of the building of the program 
of the Grizzlies because when you you know when you played, there were some good years in there, but throughout the you know the seventies and eighties, there were some up and down times for the university as a whole from a football program. And then feels like you know you when you move to Washington Grizzlies Stadium, you kind of feel the start of maybe that momentum started to build. And then when you return and started coaching and on the staff in ninety one, feels like really that was the edge of the big build into a nationally elite sort of level program what, what did you notice from your time as a player and then to your time as a as a coach in the first years you know 91 92 93 and on in in the direction of the program in general yes they um very very interesting so you know i think as as a player obviously i've you know i had i was fortunate to have one good year i mean it wasn't great by any means but but you know and we had some Okay, players, but I think the development of the players that they got from then and recruiting, especially starting in the state of Montana, was was such a big thing. And then you know, getting some getting the winning program going. And I think there was a, still a time, or it's just kind of you know, you could see it just kind of the building block process. Football was becoming fun again because they threw the football, and you know, and winning would start to be there. Now I remember. You know, one interesting time when I was first coach, I might have been my first year in 91. At one time, I think we were one and five. And Brad Vivo was the uh, quarterback. And, you know, Coach Reed, you know, he never panicked about anything. He came in and said, here's what we still need to do. And all of a sudden, we were two and five, three and five. Well, we ended up six and five. Well, then after that, um, you know, we, we had a really good breakthrough in 92. And then, of course, you know, David came along. And when David came along um, – Dickinson, it was, uh, you know, he he started to set the standard and winning and, and, you know, what the position. And then there's a lot of good players here, you know, uh, the Mike Earhart's, the Joe Douglas's. Um, and I think the biggest development part, though, and you can look on both sides of the ball, offense or defense, especially what Coach Sowers was doing at the defense at that time. But but really the offensive line became a such an integral part because of guys that were so big and physical and, you know, we were able to run the ball, pass the ball, and they just had a really, really good, um, I guess, you know, group or depth over the next three to five years of kids that, you know, had great athleticism, size, and attitude. When Brad Lebo graduated and then there's a quarterback battle, I think a lot of people expected Brent Wilberger to win that battle. But then all of a sudden, Dave Dickinson's the one that comes out on top. But do you remember uh, the kind of the replacement of, of that position and, and what that quarterback battle was like? Yeah. You know, Bert was a um, Bert was a really talented kid out of Oregon. Good arm, good size, good athletic ability. And so the one thing to jump ahead a little bit, I do remember um, – when Bert was there, Dave was there, I think Brian Yacht was there, I looked and, you know, fortunately I think I was coaching quarterbacks at the time, but everybody in that room, there were like two losses from their sophomore year on. And they were all MVPs of their, you know, from Hawaii, from Oregon, from Montana. There's one other kid too, I can't think real quick. But that was the amazing thing. But with the, those guys competing, and Bert, Bert competed, and Bert was a good teammate. I know eventually he didn't totally win it, but, you know, he won some games because Dave was injured down down the stretch at times, and Bert won some big games. Um, I know Montana State was one of them, which he played in. But, you know, Bert had his chance to play a game, 
And uh, I think we started off actually with David against South Dakota State. We're down, and of course, you know, he mounts up. I think we're down 35 to three in the fourth quarter, and he mounts a comeback, and we win. You know, so that kind of starts setting that little tone for what what he obviously, you know, accomplished throughout his career. And then um, Bert had the chance the next week against Oregon, which is, you know, a Pac-12 team, tough situation. And, you know, it was it was tough. And we were still still really in the game, but, you know, he wasn't playing great. Of course, David came in and, and made plays. We didn't end up winning the game, but we were in it, had a chance to really go ahead at one time. But I think back in the team Oregon had at that team too. They were they were pretty salty that year, and and um, you know, but that's kind of what we we knew at that time. David was the guy, but you know, much different now than really back then. Bert was a kid that was like you know he never wavered, kept working hard, wasn't into this you know, and kids weren't back then into this transfer situation, and he ended up you know graduating from here and and still having some key victories in his career and developed. You know, he's a good player. Coaching those guys when you were such a young coach that was, I mean, for in a lot of ways still playing, what was that part like? I mean, you, you could probably show them as much as you could teach them back at that point. Yeah, you know, I definitely could get in and warm up and throw with, throw with them. And I mean, now I can't. Now I can't hardly throw football. <laughs> but, um, you know, yeah, it was, you know, I think, you know, just kind of the relationship uh, and – uh, development part at that time, you know, doing things, the show, demonstrating, whatever. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, that's all there to challenge them in some ways, you know, and, and how, you know, can you do this? And, and just really, I think, you know, film study wise, I, you know, obviously as you learn, learn as you go along, you're, <laughs> you lose your, your physical skills, but I, hopefully your mind gets stronger. And I think that's kind of what I've learned through football, the, you know, over the, over the years that, you, that's how you got to start to, I guess, progress and teach and show kids, you know, try to develop their football knowledge. Because I think even nowadays in high school, kids, you know, they don't do that. I mean, you find good athletes that play all these sports, but they don't necessarily learn the conceptual part of things. You know, they can run and catch and, and tackle and do all that stuff. But um, you know, you got to learn kind of the ins and outs and understand defenses. And that's, I think, one of the things just in general with high school kids when they come to college is they don't, they don't have that grasp because obviously they don't get time with their coaches as much as what kids in college have now, you know, and going back and teaching them more fundamentals, more, you know, the, the football intelligence part of the game. You know, nowadays in high school, they're all in these seven-on-seven seven and, and self-promotion and all this stuff, so. That's the part you love, right, Coach? <laughs> Sounds like that's your that's your high point yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, you you you, you figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I want to get into this '95 season because you know '93 is a playoff game. You know, it's a one point loss to Delaware, as well chronicled. '94, you go pretty deep in the playoffs actually, but Dave gets hurt, and you kind of go, well, what might have been if you know if, if if Dickinson was playing? So then in '95, you go into that season. Uh, there's the game against Washington State that actually ends up being a loss, but I think a lot of confidence drawn from that game from from the guys we've talked to and. You kind of roll through the Idaho game being the one sort of exception, but blowing out Boise State really early in that season and then getting on a rolling in through the playoffs. I mean, what was the experience of 1995 like from, from your perspective now that you've been a, you know on the staff four years or so? 
Yeah, and I kind of, you know, I, I'll tell you to be honest, I'd have to go back and kind of research some things to remember everything, but there are certain points I think I remember about the season. I do know going in that this, this team, you know, and I look on that wall in there because that's, you know, they're the ones on our meeting room, is that they were a very – I think that they were groomed fi- finally. It all grown to be – it was just that timing thing, a good mixture of leadership and chemistry and seniors and juniors and talent. And, you know, you had the kids like Joe Douglas, Mike Gerhardt, that all kind of have come together and, and you know, and, and positions really all over, even, even on defense, you know, like Crebo and that. So, you know, Idaho was a game there. They had a very talented team at that time. You know, their coaches were good. They knew how to throw the ball also. And that was, you know, a team that, you know, we played well. We just, you know, couldn't stop them and they couldn't stop us and they scored a little bit more. So, um, that, that's the thing I do remember, I guess, about the Idaho game. But just all, all these kids in general, of, uh, they, they never they, – they worked hard. They never faltered, even when, when something was down like that. And still at one stage, you know, and Coach Reed obviously kept us all programmed that, you know, hey, it, it, we want to win it. And we obviously want to win our state rival game and then continue our string with that. And then, you know, when, when the time gets in the playoffs, we'll make our run. And, and at that time, I think the playoff system was different because we knew we could get home games. And, you know, who wants to play here in, in December, obviously. And all that kind of fit into our favor. I'm interested in that national championship game through your, you know, view as an offensive guy and an offensive coach because that Marshall team, especially that front seven, was – as big and as strong as you can imagine. I mean, I remember watching, you know, as I have watched that game again a couple of times, I'm, I'm still amazed and impressed at how strong they were up front, really got after Dave, especially in that first half, for a team that had been absolutely rolling, scoring 40, 70 points a shot. What was it like to get into a game where, wow, you really were going up against it from an offensive perspective? Well, I think one thing we, we had to adjust on was that, you know, going into playoffs, you know, we had scored what, 70, I think, against Stephen F. Austin, and 49, I think, maybe Eastern, against Georgia Southern, and, and 45 or something against East, Eastern Kentucky. I mean, it was, and, you know, and shutting people out. So we had kind of walked through the playoffs pretty good. But then we knew, you know, one, a lot of things would be neutralized. They had good players. We're at their home stadium. Um, you know, like you said, our matchups were probably not in our favor in some way. But we knew – you know, we knew Dave, you know, could do his thing. We could give him time. He had his little magic, and he obviously, he obviously knew where to put the ball because he's always one of the most accurate guys throwing the ball. But, um, you know, Matt Wells had a great game. I mean, I know Mike Earhart had a great game, especially on the slant catch he had. And, um, you know, we, I think we had a tough time running the ball, but we did pop a few here and there, and it kept us, you know, not totally balanced, maybe per, percentage-wise, but at least effectiveness-wise. So, um, and, and hey, our defense did a great job of shutting them down and even keep it close. And then we had a, you know, like we say, I'm, I do remember saying, if we have a chance at the end to make a drive, you know, we just got to get in position. And you know, Mike caught that slam on fourth and I think it's fourth and two, and we had a couple more plays. David might have scrambled on one. But, you know, and then Andy hit the kid. So, Just knowing that you have the opportunity, if you do have a chance at the end because you have the guy at the controls that can lead you on that drive, I mean, 
how much confidence does that give you as a coach? And just overall, what was it like coaching a guy like Dave Dickinson? Because it seems like he overcame every obstacle that was put in front of him and then went out on, on a higher note than maybe any Grizz ever. Yeah, obviously. He's the best that's come out of here probably. But, I mean, one, he's very coachable at that time, and especially as, you know, he's probably carried that over to be the coach he is now in, in Canada. But he's, you know, whatever it was called, you know, and I mean, but whatever the play was, you know, he always knew that, you know, it could get executed because, one, he was so smart. He always knew that if that first option was never there, that he always knew the second and the third option, what to do with the football. So, He's one of those kids that, you know, he makes you look really good, you know. And you just kind of sometimes it's like step back, get out of the way, and just let them do their thing. And he he was one of those guys, you know. He, he, he had control at all times. And he had control with himself. He had control with the team. He had control with the, you know, the guys around him because of being the leader and competitor that he was. With that win and that first national championship in the history of the program, what what was it like after that? And and it's obviously a change for you as you know, Coach Reed sort of surprisingly retires a couple months after that, and then you go ahead and become the offensive coordinator and you kind of take over that position, but you take it over as a defending national championship uh, national champion. What was that like? Well, I'll tell you one thing. I like it was a, it was a fun ride home. It was a fun time in Missoula that night. I bet it was. You got any recollection of that night? Oh, yeah. I remember everything. Yeah, I remember being downtown at Stocks. Oh, yeah. I remember that. They kept it open late. You know, so it, it was fun. I mean, you know, we, we partied and had fun. and um, But, you know, like you said, I think the kids got, you know, they regained focus at some point in time. And, you know, it was, uh, I think, Coach Reed did catch us off guard a little bit by the fact of retiring. And, but, you know, once Coach Dennehy stepped in there, then, you know, we knew what we, we had to do. There's still some things that were still in place. So uh, we knew we still had good players. You know, I think for me personally, you know, taking over and really now David being gone, but I knew Brian was a good quarterback. Yacht, and I think the challenge of pushing him and, you know, and, and really – him coming back the next year and, and having, you know, an undefeated season and going back to that thing was, you know, you know, a testament to really all the kids that we had in place. And, you know, we had a good – obviously they had recruited real well and, and we had a good string of, of kids. When you talk about – or when you look at, I guess, the program now that the University of Montana is, and you've been all over, I mean, Baylor, Boise State, Florida, Washington, on down the line – you come back to the University of Montana in 2018. What has the program been as a result of that national championship, or what was that the starting point of in your mind? Well, I think it was definitely a starting point uh, because uh, we were probably a little bit unknown at the time. But, you know, it definitely going back the second year kind of brought more recognition. And then, obviously, when Coach Glenn was here, you know, those guys winning it in 2001 and then, Coach, you know, when Coach Houck had him there, what I want to – you guys need to help me with this one, but three or four times, you know, mm-hmm. just going. I mean, now they knew Montana had that kind of that mojo, you know, and, and you know, especially from a team from out west. Because I always thought that, you know, teams out west, I mean, you know, that it's, there's not as many teams to go and compete for. And, the, you know, once the playoffs got situated back east, 
you know, back in Tennessee and um, and that. I mean, I obviously I followed them from you know even when they were in Chattanooga, I went down to the games because I was at Kentucky at the time and and watched them when they beat Furman and you know, cut the goalpost down. But I think you know it developed uh, definitely within the state of Montana. It developed you know the recognition point of consistency and championship standard. And, you know, just the energy that it brought to the stadium, the state, you know, the kids that played in this state and, you know, and, and continued with good recruiting. I believe there's only a couple of you guys on that staff in 1995 that were also, you know, Grizz alums, that this is your alma mater. And now you're the only guy that's back at the school coaching again. So that's a distinctly unique experience. So from your perspective, I mean, how, how has this influenced this, your path in football and being a part of that 95 national championship? Is there a way to, to, to communicate that to the guys you have now and say, hey, this is what it takes. This is what it was like for us to get to the mountaintop. I, I'm going to be honest with you on that. These kids nowadays do not think that far back. No, no I, doubt. Yeah, no I, doubt. <laughs> I, I always talk about my experiences, and I try to teach them that. And I think sometimes they look at me with their eyes crossed and say, Coach, you're kind of old. <laughs> and, and maybe maybe I, they're wrong on some things there. And I usually tell them when they're wrong. But, you know, they, they don't go back that far. I mean, they weren't even born then. And, you know, Coach Houck does this thing of, of Montana history and, um, they very rarely answer a lot of those questions past that, probably past the 2000, I don't know, five or six mark now, you know, because, you know, kids don't, kids don't follow football like that because they, they're all on these games, right? And they, they follow different things. They don't understand history and tradition as much. And I think that, you know, there is tradition at this school now, and there is expectation, and people do care, and there is a standard. But they don't follow it like that. So they don't, you know, connect with the good players or what happened back then or some of the rivalry, you know, the Idaho and, the, you know, even back to Boise State back then. And so I got to back away and not maybe bring that stuff up and maybe just kind of relate an experience or a coaching point to them in some way. But, I mean, let's face it. I can give them the name of Walter Payton. They don't even know who that is. So. <laughs> I'm only laughing because it's so true, Coach. It's so true. But from your personal perspective, it must it must it must mean a lot to you, though, to be back at your alma mater coaching, and, and I'm sure that those memories from back then still fuel you today. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've I've always loved my school, and you know, I think having the opportunity to even you know come to school here, start coaching. You know, I met my wife here. I you know both my kids were born here. You know, and just the experiences I've had along the way have always, you know, I, I look back and I'm, and I'm just very, I am very fortunate. And to um, kind of guess what, what happened in the past and, you know, be able to, you know, push me forward, the relationships I developed in coaching, and then go and have other experiences at some other schools along my career, and then be able to come back and, you know, I don't know if I finish it up here or not. I don't know that that's the deal because – who knows in coaching? I mean, you're like a gypsy in the world, you know. So, <laughs> right. so, but you know, I, I do I do appreciate the opportunity to come back here, especially with you know, with Bobby and you know the friendship that we had when we were in college together, you know. So, well, coach, to tell you what, we really appreciate the time and the memories and and kind of taking us through uh, that '95 season, but also your path both before and after. So, thank you so much. 
Hey, I appreciate you guys having me on. And, yeah, anytime, and best of luck to you guys. Keep in touch. Thank you for listening to Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions. Grizz Greats is available on all of your podcasting platforms, whether you use Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Transistor. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share. To find all the Grizz Greats, you can just search Grizz Greats on your platforms, or you can visit grizzgreats.com or 1029ESPN.com and click on the podcast tab. Chris Greats is proudly presented by Blackfoot Communications and First Security Bank of Missoula.